Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Good afternoon. Welcome to another exciting adventure here on Southern Sense. I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chick, Annie. We're broadcasting live on, oh, good Lord, where the heck are we? Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains, Daily News, Kinetic Hi-Fi, The Fix FM out of Charleston, South Carolina, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, oh, the heck with it. You know what we're going to say next. Just go to the name of the show. Put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm here with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, you can tell I'm starting off best backwards already. <laughs> well, <laughs> I got to turn you off there before we start the show. I'm recuperating for, from a bout of food poisoning, so I will warn everybody out there to be careful with you. <laughs> but anyway, I'm looking forward to our guest today. And um, what they have to say yeah, we, current world events. We've got two great guests um, today. We've got Chet Nagel, a former diplomat, former CIA agent. He's been all over the map. Uh, he's got several great books out there. Uh, check him out at ChetNagel.com. We also got returning also uh, Dan Perkins, a dear, dear friend of ours. Um, he's got also several books out there. He was originally a financier. Uh, he was someone that told you how to you know, invest your money and how to handle it. And just one day he decided to take a class in uh, writing. And next thing you know, he is now a radio and TV commentator and author. He also has out there songs and stories for soldiers. And I'm looking at the description in the chat room. I'm going to chat room the uh, show episode, and I have to remember after the show to add on that website for that, for Songs and Soldiers, Songs and Stories for Soldiers. That's if I can talk straight. Uh, he'll be joining us on the second half. A lot to talk about. We have a chock full of subjects to talk about. And uh, that said, um, everyone that listens to the show knows that we start off with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going out to Deputy Sheriff Mika Lee Fleck of the El Paso County Sheriff's Office in Colorado. His end of watch was, Jan- was February 5th of 2018. And as we get this going, this is from the Officer Down Memorial page. And the rest of it is what I wrote personally, uh, including sections from the actual funeral. Deputy Sheriff Mika Flick was shot and killed while conducting an auto theft investigation in the area of Galley Road and North Murray Boulevard in Colorado Springs at approximately 4 p.m. on Monday, February 5th of 2018. Officers attempted to take a suspect into custody. 
but the man began to struggle and then opened fire, fatally wounding Deputy Fleck and wounding two other deputies, a Colorado Springs police officer and a bystander. The man was shot and killed by return gunfire. Deputy Fleck had served with the El Paso County Sheriff's Office for 11 years. He was killed on the 11th anniversary of starting with the department. He survived by his wife and seven-year-old twins. Before the funeral, Force, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'm a little bit <laughs> messed up here today. Before the funeral for Sheriff Deputy Nika Flick was held, Colorado Springs firefighters hoisted a large U.S. flag outside of New Life Church. With snow falling, hundreds of mourners showed up for the funeral and law enforcement from across the state and beyond filled the auditorium. A bouquet of flowers was sent by the New York Yankees with a card that read, With our deepest sympathy, our thoughts and prayers are with the entire Fleck family and the entire family of the El Paso County Sheriff's Office. As Deputy Sheriff Fleck's remains arrived, one of his daughters with her mom, carrying a single blue rose, walked in. Among the mourners was Somer's family carrying an American flag with a single blue line, recognizing Blue Lives Matter. Accompanying the body were four horseback-mounted officers with a lone riderless horse with the boots reversed in the stirrups, with two dozen officers standing at attention at the entrance of New Life Church's auditorium. Each officer held a flag displaying a different law enforcement agency. During the service, the family and friends gently touched the flag-draped casket to say their goodbye. Law enforcement officers placed blue-tip roses near Deputy Sheriff Fleck's framed photo, touching his casket and saluting before returning to their seats. Over 5,000 mourners attended. We live in a city that knows how to honor heroes, New Life Senior Pastor Braddy Boyd told them, calling Fleck a hero of our community. He added that they were sitting in the very seats that Fleck sat in, to worship. The support has been incredible, El Paso County Sheriff Bill Elder told the crowd. The outpouring of support gives me hope for the culture, hope for the law enforcement officers and families will always have the support they need, not just after a line of duty death, but each and every day. Mourners have gathered to celebrate a life well lived. Colorado Springs Police Department Chief Peter Carey said, When we lose an officer, it matters not what uniform they wear, he said. We stand with you, we grieve with you, he told the members of the Sheriff's Department. Fleck had perfected the art of balance in his life, Carey went on to tell mourners, balancing work with his important roles as a husband, father, son, friend, servant of God. The way he lived, that balance shines as an example for all to follow. Nika was far too young with a long, bright future ahead, said Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper. He gave more than a lifetime to his family, his church, his community, and to his state. He spent much of his 24 years helping those who couldn't help themselves, Hickenlooper added. 
His benevolent energy and spirit rings clear through the stories that have been told. Hopefully that spirit will endure as all of us tell and retell the stories of his life. Chris Brown, Fleck's brother-in-law and recent retiree of the Colorado Springs Police Department, said he is blown away by the support in the room today. Fleck had attended several law enforcement funerals, and as somber as they were, loved ones loved the process, he said. The only reason I'm standing here today and not bawling out my eyes is because of the grace and peace that surpasses all understanding, he said. Fleck's wife spoke, thanking the community for its outpouring support. Nothing will bring him back, she said. I'd give all the money back to have him with me in a heartbeat. But thank you for trying to make it just a little bit easier. Mika literally used, literally used his body as a shield and put himself between his killer and his fellow officers, his wife said. There would have been multiple funerals had he not given his life, she added. I want to be jealous. I want to have him. But I am so proud of him, she said. We love you, Fleck's wife told the crowd of officers before departing the stage. She encouraged officers in in attendance to be worthy of the calling. Uphold your badge. New Life Senior Pastor Brady Boyd said, What a man. What a guy. Today's show is dedicated to Officer Fleck. It is also dedicated to all of the first responders out there, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. And we also dedicate it to the brave men and women that volunteer in our military from the birth of our nation through today and into the future. And we dedicate to them this song, Amazing Grace. May God bless each and every one and their families and friends.
listening to Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains Daily News, Kinetic Hi-Fi, the 6FM out of Charleston, South Carolina. Of course, I'm your hostess with the most is the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Of course, I managed to get that one correct. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I want to welcome everyone that's up in our chat room listening in live on... Um, <laughs> YouTube and Facebook also, and we do have our guest in the studio. Let's welcome aboard always one of our returning favorites, Chet Nagel. Good afternoon, Chet. How are you today? So very good. The better for listening to you, Annie. <laughs> You're such a liar, but I'll take it. I'll take flattery <laughs> any way I can. <laughs> you know, I'm on your side. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at our age, we need it. You betcha. <laughs> when we're you young betcha. and beautiful, we don't care. That's right. That's oh, man, right. I just when really... you're g- Growing old is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no. And every single ache and pain tells us that. That's right. Hey, listen, um, you know, you were writing for Family Matters, and I didn't realize it, but they closed the site down. What happened there? Either they retired, uh, they, they figured to give it on to a younger generation. I miss that website. Yeah, me too. Uh, uh, Kat Tabor, who I'm sure you know, uh, was a spark plug of that organization and uh, the founder and president and all that. She left for a brief period because her husband got uh, uh, ill and, uh, and then uh, came back and uh, was growing the outfit again and so on, and then uh, uh, relatively abruptly resigned, and she's, she just can't deal with taking care of her husband, um, who has uh, a, a serious debilitating illness, and, uh, and run it at the same time, so they just uh, shut it down. She was the, you know, the fundraising spark plug, so she had to spend a lot of time on the on the show um, financially and everything else. And, um, and her husband uh, who I met um, some years ago, delightful guy. She is just being a solid citizen and, you know, being at home a lot. I know, I know that feeling because I found that I had to pull away from a couple of things too. Uh, Cause my husband has you know, a serious illness uh, it's something that we're going to be dealing with for the next several years, um, and hopefully it towards like the, the end we'll thing, have a happy Annie. ending. Yeah, yeah, it sounds and, like the same uh, thing. Uh, it's rough. Yeah, well, it, it's odd because since the beginning of the year, he's been hospitalized twice, and I've had two oh. major surgeries. So, you know, we get to that stage in our life where we do have to start pulling back and hopefully recruit younger people to uh, take over the reins. But thankfully, I can do this radio show and uh, video podcast uh, and still keep my voice going on the other end. And you with your books and your public speaking. And up oh, there we go. <laughs> Hello. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> No, no, I've got to shut that live. off. We don't everything is up. supposed to be shut off here. This is prime time. <laughs> like I said, it's live radio. We we never know what's going to happen. Uh, well, because, that's um, true. <laughs> one of the things that when I was doing the note preps for this, 
I, I came across something that no one, absolutely no one, is talking about in the news. And I include Fox News on this one. I haven't heard it on Hannity. I haven't heard it on Levin. I haven't heard it on uh, any any show, David Webb. No one is talking. We talk about occasionally Uranium One, Hillary's emails. But when I stumbled across Project Pelican, that blew me away. And uh, I had no idea. Are you aware of what Project Pelican is? You know, that rings a very vague bell, but no. No, I don't. No. All right. Well, it's tied in to Hillary Clinton, Uranium One, and Putin. And it is where they gave a lease to the freight uh, pier over at Cape Canaveral, Florida, to a Russian-owned company with ties directly to Rostam, uh, Uranium One, uh, Putin, and an oligarch in, um, oh, shoot, what the heck is this guy's name? He's known as the uh, <laughs> Darth Vader of Russia. <laughs> and i got to see if I can find his 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 name. Um, it's also tied to an Iraqi family known as the Jafar family with decades of contact with Russian intelligence. And they've given a 35-year lease to this port in Cape Canaveral. And all these companies are tied into um, an Iranian company also that created a nuclear device they call the beach ball. It's approximately the size of literally a beach ball. And it's also tied into a Russian company that has made these weapons that fit into a nuclear into a freight container coming off of a ship, and it can launch an EMP here within the United States. Now, to make this even worse, it goes to the point where just this past April 6th in Wilmington, Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware, under the guise of expanding their port, has also given a lease of their port to these very same people. So now Russia, Iran, Iraq, our enemies now have access to our ports, an unlimited, unsecure access to two American ports where they can bring weapons of mass destruction into our nation. This is scary. Well, yes, it is scary. Uh, now that you described it, uh, I didn't associate the, the code name Pelican uh, with it, but I was aware of that uh, lease uh, down at Canaveral. I was not aware of the one further north. Uh, and that that's really... Um, it's really very problematical. I had written about this and spoken about it and talked to some other people about it in the past. Um, the system that you got to worry about there is uh, called a Club K. And it looks exactly, that's exactly it. like a shipping container. Uh, but inside it are four uh, essentially cruise missiles that can have a warhead uh, ranging anywhere from high explosive to, uh, to nuclear. Uh, and the thing is, it looks like all the other containers on board. Everything is self-contained. The control station, the four missiles, the top of the container opens, the missiles are wrecked and all that. This is a, this is a Russian invention, and you can buy one in Moscow. Uh, they have an export office there. Just saying, you know, I've got some money here. I'd like to buy a Club K, and uh, they'll sell it to you. Now, I don't know how many people have bought it, 
But the point is, you can put this container on a container ship that has hundreds of other containers, and it'll look just like the rest of them. So if you sail that ship into the Canaveral Harbor, or any other harbor for that matter, uh, they can open the top of this thing and launch these four missiles. Now, they don't have to be cruise missiles and hug the earth. They can go up uh, if they're programmed to do so. And if they go up, of course, you have the EMP problem. So, yes, uh, we... We're a very porous nation, and even when it's demonstrated that hundreds of billions of dollars have been wasted on government support for illegal aliens and all that, you still have the Jerry Browns of the world who just don't get it, who don't understand that the national security risk, never mind all the money that it's costing, is horrendous. We're porous. We're easy. And it's going to get worse. Sure. Yes, why, why do we have a why do we have a homeland security if things like this is allowed to um, happen? Homeland What's security, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, it's more like good, homeless not, security, not homeland. It's a yeah. <laughs> no, but that's a that's a very good question. Uh, you know, the people that are uh, making a, a reasonable salary, one would hope. Uh, and should be knowledgeable and are at senior positions in the government, uh, they know about these things. Uh, if they don't know about it, they can ask somebody in their huge staffs who can give them a, a whole book and chapter about it. Uh, the, the the trick is, we, you know, you get the Ninth Circuit Court always uh, saying whatever you're doing is not constitutional. Uh, you know, there's a, a couple of judges on there that uh, – that make law, um, um, regardless, as long as it's uh, it's liberal and whatever. Uh, we we are somewhat dysfunctional. Uh, I mean, you have to menace the governor of a major state to send 400 uh, national guardsmen to the border when he's ordered to do so by the president. And says no way, and then okay, well we'll cut off your well okay we'll send four hundred guys. I mean that's ridiculous. I think there's a lack of attention. That's why that's why your show is so important. For example, um, you know the the world is a very dangerous place right now, and uh, if if you look at what's happening in the Middle East and elsewhere, uh, just recently. Uh, it reminds me um, of something that Sam Faddis, uh, I think you know Sam. Um, oh, yeah, wrote, he was just on recently. Yeah. Well, he's he's a he's a real piece of work. I I, I have to plug it, uh, plug him hard because he uh, and his uh, wonderful wife Gina have acquired a um, a mag an online magazine called And Magazine. Yeah, A&D. And. Yeah, And yeah, Magazine. And, yeah. There, it's been around for a long time, but it's it's being revamped, and he's taking his not inconsiderable intellect and, and work ethic and, and hammering it back into shape and making lots of changes. But anyway, he wrote a piece uh, in which he, he mentioned Otto von Bismarck. The first, he was the first chancellor of the German Empire in, a, in the late 1800s. And he said that... Um, uh, the next great European war, and he was referring, of course, to what turns out to be the First World War, um, would start with, uh, quote, some damn foolish thing in the Balkans, unquote. 
unquote. And of course, it came to pass when Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated and World War I got started. World War I got started not so much for the Archduke, because no one barely knew who the hell he was unless he was nobility. It started because everybody was allied to everybody else and tensions were very high. So the next thing that happens is Austria, Hungary um, declares war, gives an ultimatum to Serbia. The Russians back up the Serbians, the French and the English back up the, uh, you know, and, and then World War, and then the U.S. and Japan got involved. And that war, I mean, people, it's so long ago, there's, you know, nobody remembers, uh, Nine million soldiers and seven million civilians died in that war. I mean, those are unbelievable numbers. Some estimate as many as 41 million casualties in total out of World War One. It was a real meat grinder. And we now have all the same indicators that we are now getting to the levels of tensions and alliances and groups, largely fomented by, of course, the Iranians in the Middle East, but they're all in there. It's not only Iran, Russia's in there. You, know, you saw the news uh, release where we we killed a couple of hundred uh, Russian mercenaries, uh, the little green men, uh, when they got too close to our forces in Syria. They got close to the red line there at the Euphrates River. And we, we defended ourselves against these guys, and they were rather surprised and got killed. Well, Russians didn't make too much of that and said, well, we don't have any mercenaries there. And, of course, they do. Uh, but but that that kind of an incident, um, if it happens again, uh, and, of course, the reaction of the Russians to the, the missile strikes against the chemical factory has been to bring in uh, SA-300 missiles and into Syria. Well, of course, this really sets the Israelis' hair on fire because they don't want to be like South Korea and have to sit helplessly under the threat of thousands of artillery tubes from North Korea that that would decimate their capital and most of their country. So they sit there helplessly while the guys that are their aggressors uh, build nuclear weapons. Well, the Israelis are in the same position. They don't want to see Iran with nuclear weapons. Iran is threatened to wipe out the uh, the little Satan. And so they go in periodically and they knock over a base or they take out uh, they take out uh, critical items. Well, these SA-300 missiles, if they're set up into a formidable air defense network, uh, and they're state of the art pretty much, um, that would that would limit them and deny them that area. So they're going to go for those missiles, I'll bet, and they'll probably do it. There are reports now of ships arriving in Tartus, which is the Russian base on the Mediterranean, Syrian base, uh, of these missiles. Just I saw a notice today with a picture of the ship, actually, with the equipment on, on the deck. Um, well, if the Israelis go in there and take those missiles out, maybe they're, they're still on, Russian, on a Russian base. Maybe, and you begin to see all these parallels and, and everything that's happening. You know, the threat from uh, the IRGC, from Hezbollah, they've got 100,000 missiles aimed at, aimed at Israel, uh, we'll wipe you out kind of routine. That's just the Middle East. Then you've got the United States and China 
facing off over the South China Sea. You've got recent reports coming out where people are just starting to recognize the fact that there are Iranian uh, Hezbollah or IRGC terrorist cells in the United States, sleeper cells. Well, they can do a lot of damage. Some of those guys have been arrested That's, that, for plotting terrorist events, right? And, and this is not front page news. I see it and, you know, wow, fall out of my chair. Then I look around and nobody else is excited. They're too worried about the basketball game. We are in an extremely yeah. dangerous world, extremely dangerous world. And, and, and real serious fights are going on all over the place. Yemen, for example, this is a direct confrontation between the Saudis and the Iranians who are as deadly enemies as the Iranians are of Israel. They both are Muslims, but one's Shia, one's Sunni, and both of them want to be the custodians of the two holy sites and lead uh, the worldwide Muslim community. They're daggers drawn seriously, and they're battling it out in Yemen. And do we have a dog in the fight? Sure we do. Yemen controls the Bab al-Mandab, the strait that goes to the Suez Canal. I think it's a third of the crude, I think, goes through the Bab al-Mandab. And then you got Hormoz. We have a dog in all these fights, but we don't have a strategy. You had a president who says the right things, but then he gets blocked by everybody. At least Tillerson is gone. I celebrate that. But... uh, we we're in a we're in a very dangerous world, Annie, right now. Very very dangerous. Now I I see what you're seeing also. Uh, everything's going to center around the Middle East at this point, and yet you you look at the influences in the area. You also have a growing influence of China in in Africa, with yes. the growing population of Muslim at there at the same time, and they're working hand in hand. <laughs> Don't don't think it's two different things going on. They work together. So we've got the yes. influ- rising influence of China, plus we've got an increasing influence of China over the, the China Sea and the areas in the Pacific. We're just seeding them passageways. And we're letting them build <laughs> islands, which they're putting military bases on, and no one's paying attention. Well, you know, oddly enough, there are some people paying attention, but we're we're making some mistakes here that are uh, in the broadest sense. Uh, you mentioned Africa. Absolutely right. Um, AFRICOM um, and the Defense Department and Special Forces people, they know what's going on down there. And occasionally you see news articles where American soldier killed in ambush in Africa. What the hell is he doing in Africa? Well, they know, and they, they understand. Some of it's PR because you have the Boko Haram guys uh, running around in, in Nigeria, running off with hundreds of girls every now and then. Uh, but it's it's even more horrific and, uh, and insidious than that. So Africa is another simmering place, but nobody talks about it much. Now, again, yeah, it, go it, back to this. The president's saying the right things. You know, we... we 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 don't have a coherent strategy, and he's being he's being hamstrung all over the place. The South China Sea, you mentioned those islands and the rest. Okay, we we hold an exercise and they hold an exercise, but they keep right on building those damn islands. Um, and th- this is a strategic area. 
the Straits of Malacca and places like that. Now, we can counter that uh, with, China, with Japan, uh, which drives the Chinese crazy, of course. Uh, but, but we have to go public on this stuff. We have, to, we have to do what you do and start telling as many people as possible just how dangerous it is so that this John Q. Citizen says, well, what the hell are you doing to protect me? You mentioned EMP. That's another one. Why don't we support verbally? You don't have to parachute machine guns into them. Why don't we verbally support the green movement in Iran? There was an uprising recently. I didn't hear any big pronouncements saying, way to go, guys. Get your, get your government back from these mullahs. Join the real world. Nothing. Silence. It shows you that there's a terrible cabal, you know, Ben Rhodes echo chamber and all the rest of that stuff out there. And one of the most effective tools in the business, and you surely know more about it than I do, um, is ignoring something, a non-event. Well, then nobody knows. Nobody has the time, very few people have the time and patience to spend a half a day, like I do, and I'm sure you do, going off the, over the Internet everywhere to try and get the real news. You sure as hell don't get it from CNN. I, I remember <laughs> when, when I was... When I was the Communist was News Network. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. When, you, when, you, when I was working with the government um, in the Middle East, extensively, that was so many decades ago. I remember, and I talked to other guys about this, I'd check into a hotel, and the first thing I would do is, um, I mean, the hotel could be anywhere in the Middle East, uh, as long as it was a decent hotel, turn on the television set, and uh, you get then you turn to CNN to find out what's happening. Now, I don't think I've seen a CNN broadcast except when they say something totally outrageous and it goes viral. Um, for years, because it's not news. No, it's it's not no. anymore. And I gotta, I'm going to tease your brain a little bit because there's been talking Uh-oh. talks about finally with the Korean War. People don't understand. I keep, it gets me so angry when they say the war on terror is the longest fought war ever in the United States. No, it happens to be the Korean War because there never was a peace treaty. Hello, this is 63 years and counting. We're coming on the hundred year war and rivaling Europe now. Would someone please slap give someone a dummy slap across the side of the head? Korean War. And the Koreans are now starting to talk peace. Talk about finally doing a peace treaty. And which yeah. could lead to reunification of the Korean Peninsula. Now I see a big problem here. You've got a very liberal premier. President, uh, president or premier, I forget what South Korea has. A woman is in there. She's very, very liberal. Uh, and they're talking about the peace treaty. I see a problem, and I don't know if anyone else is really paying much attention to this, because it's great that Trump is being able to step in and calm down little Kim and keep his finger off the button, because his button's bigger than his Kim's button. But the Chinese influence now on a unified Korea I don't see a lot of good things coming out of this at this point with this person in charge of South Korea. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> you never fail to you never fail to amaze me, Eddie. Uh, you just you just uh, oh, really? uh, did a, a 
Well, you just did a quick geopolitical overview of that place, and uh, and I've been puzzling over some of the things I've heard. You know, they like you say, uh, they're they're edging toward ending the war. Uh, I went to Pam and John. I went to the DMZ. Um, I'm, I'm one of the and I and I wrote about it and spoke about it back in those days. This was decades ago. I went there, and uh, I, I was stunned. Uh, by what I saw, uh, I mean, I you you got to see the the face of the enemy. I mean, up close and personal. Uh, you know, it was it was quite a thing, really. Um, almost unknown what's going on up there, uh, even back those days when we were a lot closer to to the armistice. But you're right. So now they've established a hotline between the capitals, right? It just recently got strung, apparently, and so. The two presidents uh, can talk to each other, the dictator and the liberal lady, uh, and that's viewed as a great step forward. Well, in many respects, it is, uh, and and now you've got you know the bad haircut guy with the missiles saying he's he's perfectly willing to denuclearize completely. Now I would assume that that would mean it would be verified. And in the case of Obama, I would know it wouldn't be verified. But in the case of Trump, I would assume that, that people are going to go up there and say, "Okay, you know, let's let's we got satellite shots of all your places, so let's just go in and see if you really are denuclearizing and shutting down your plutonium plants and all that." Well, w- what caused this sudden change of heart? I mean, the guy has just turned from "I'm going to kill you." to, hey, I'm going to give up all my nukes. And that didn't happen over a period of years. It happened in a period of weeks. I kind of think that his last trip to China is what did it. He just he was up there very recently, remember? And he met the other dictator, mm-hmm. the big guy who's now dictator for life. He changed the constitution of China. He's another mile. Uh, Communist Party's alive and well up there. What did they talk about? What did the Chinese say to him? And then he goes home and suddenly he's just really nice. They probably said to him what you just said. Now listen, what you really want, nothing's going to happen to you. You can have all the uh, all the meals and broads or whatever the heck it is that cranks your tractor. Uh, you're going to be okay. What we need is a unified Korea. You'll still be there. We'll have some kind of bilateral government. We can. They must have talked about that. And now we now we go forward to um, to uh, uh, unification. And just as you said, who's the big dog there? It's not South Korea. They have a vibrant economy, of course. I mean, you know, think of Samsung and Kia's and all the things they do. And of course, you got the poor starving peasants up north, well, they'll at least maybe get one meal a day out of the deal. Um, but now you have a unified a unified, geopolitically, critically placed country with a big capitalized economy in the south. And guess who's next door? It's China. I know well, there's I'm, a I'm going to throw another there. little... I'm going to throw another monkey wrench in here because there's some other things I've noticed over the years are also occurring because China just did a capitulation on this threat of a trade war. 
And I think that was done as like a little bit of saying, all right, fine, we'll step forward with Korea in this way, but we'll step back on the trade war here. But you also have to remember China has a very large influence here in the United States because their companies, which are not privately held, they have a large government influence and a lot of government uh, 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 of the uh, heads of government in the military and the political own are actually the owners. The government actually is the companies that own large pieces of property here in the United States, including ports. It's not. So uh, you, you, you've read. you read all these. Church. But this is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, God, I love talking to somebody like you because usually I get people who go, "What? I can't believe. No, that can't be true." Yeah, and and so you have to kind of show them pictures and stuff. Well, you've got you've got the the, the broad outlines. Lately, you've been seeing all this discussion about the Chinese are stealing all our intellectual property. We're in an artificial intelligence race because it has great impacts on the military and so on and so forth, right? Well, and then there's always, well, we can't buy these uh, Huawei uh, cell phones because uh, they're compromised. You realize, of course, that the Apple phone, which I have uh, one, is is really secure in the sense that, you know, if – uh, if you're a bad guy, if you're dealing in dope or something, you're going to use an iPhone because if the cops get your phone, they can't get into it and see who all your co-dealers are. And Apple has steadfastly refused, uh, even in court, to release the capability for that. Right? Hooray for Apple. Guess where the phone is made? You got in it. In China. And guess in what China. happens if you open a company... If you open a company in China, you have to sell them. You have to give them your intellectual property. So the Chinese get all our intellectual property. They don't have to steal it. Just open a factory. Hello, GM, GE. You give your intellectual property over to them. So what do the Chinese do? They take a look at it. They improve upon it. And they put out a better product than we're doing at a cheaper price and then sell it back to the Americans. Doy. You think we don't have a trade war already? Exactly right. We do have a trade war. We have a we have the precursor for for more than just a trade war. We have a precursor for real uh, combat here. Now, he, he, the thing about going to a company over there, and I don't care what company it is, it's McDonald's, right? But a company that's in high tech, and having them turn over various aspects of their IP. Well, the Chinese come here, and the list of companies in which they have a major interest here, not there, here, is horrendous. And these companies here are not like the ones there where they're selling something that's made. Here, they're developing stuff. And as you say, they don't have to, it's not significant espionage. They own the damn company, or such a significant part, got seats on the board. So they can get their data that way. Plus, they have a huge espionage network in here because we're soft. There's probably 350,000 Chinese here scattered across the country that send data home. And on top of which, the Chinese Communist Party is establishing overt cells in major universities across the United States. And you probably saw that. I think there was a piece today, and there's been a couple more of them. I can't remember who... 
I can't remember who published a piece today, but it actually had a photograph of a bunch of these uh, Chinese and American uh, people in this university, and behind them on the wall was the was the red flag with the hammer and sickle on it. So well, you this know, it's, is a it's full not just court the universities, press. but if you, yeah, but if you also look at our our public schools and also now in private schools, the influence of Chinese education on the American education system. They they have this program, I forget what it's called off the top of my head. I know they have it right out here in Hilton Head, and they bragged about this program. But when they traced it back to the influence and what it was actually teaching the kids, it was teaching them communism. It was promoting sure. communism in our own school systems, not the university level, down to your kids' below college age level. You know, we look at the influence, as you say, on the, the executive boards of many companies. You look at the own ownership of property here. You just Google, and you can pull up a flag that shows little red dots all across the United States, <laughs> primarily along the coastal areas because of the ports. And then you look at the school well, education they, school system. You're absolutely right. Where did they get that idea? How did the? I mean, the Chinese, the, the, the Chinese are really great copycats, and if they see something that's really good, well, by George, they'll adopt it, which is quite sensible. They took that Muslim play, they took the playbook from the Muslims. It's like all these kids in primary school learning the Koran, and and the teachers having them recite prayers. The Muslim Shahada, prayers. yeah. You say the Shahada three times, and you got two witnesses. You are now a Muslim. Exactly. That's what happened. And we've to, talked about I, that on I'm, the show. <laughs> I, oh, well, I hope you talk about it a lot. You know, every time I see Brennan's face, I kind of laugh. You know, I'm, I'm sure he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'll bet you dollars to donuts that this guy uh, was convinced by somebody. I was offered this, you know, I, I said to when I was working out there, I'd like to go visit Mecca and see the place. I don't even have to get out of the car. I just like to look at it. And uh, the guy I was working with said, oh, yeah, we can work on that. So let's just pray together. And I knew what, what he was talking about, because if we prayed together, i.e. the Shahada, and recite that two times and have two witnesses there, uh, I'm a Muslim, and then I can go to Mecca. Brennan has been to Mecca. Oh, yeah. Brennan, yeah, the, the, there's talk about the the prayer, the prayer rug <laughs> in his office. Yeah, he's a Muslim. It's an open crying secret. Out loud. Yeah, isn't that great? I mean, a Muslim head of the CIA. I think, I think you know, it, and when these things happen right in front of you, people always say, oh, no, that couldn't possibly. Oh, you got to be kidding me. We are such a wonderful society. We are so open. We're so democratic. We're so caring. We're so nice that... I mean, it goes all the way back to uh, Diana West's uh, book, um, you know, American Betrayal, that, that, that is such a wonderful bit of research and everything else. And she gets pilloried by Horowitz and a bunch of other people. I mean, absolutely up and down. I asked one of the pundits, I won't use his name because he's a friend. I said, what did you think of Diana West's great book? And he said, it's terrible. It's awful. And I said, really? Well, God, I read it, and it looked extremely well well written and researched. Um, it has a huge appendix and everything. I said, where, where, where specifically in it did you find it to be off the rails? And he said, I didn't read it. I didn't have to. 
Well, how about that? I didn't read it, but it's awful. So <laughs> it's, it, it still exists, you know. I mean, these guys are old guys. Um, uh, they're not as old as I am, but they're pretty damn old. And, uh, and they, they're part of the echo from, from the tremendous penetration that was done of the FDR government. I mean, right up to good old Harry Hopkins and, and all the rest of them. Uh, and, it's, and they're still there. Their 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 descendants, so to speak, are still there. They're in the State Department. They're all over the place. Well, I, I would put it well. even far back as Woodrow Wilson. But I want to take just because I'm looking at the clock. We've got a few more minutes with you. I want to take you in a little bit of a different direction because this is something. Because uh, my stepson happens to be Cuban American. Raúl uh-huh. Castro is said he's stepping down, and now <laughs> no, the new guy took office, I believe today is when he took office. His name is Miguel Diaz-Canel Bermudez. Um, He's a Communist Party loyalist, but no one really knows all that much about him. Because if anyone knows Cuban politics, the best way to get forward is to keep your mouth shut, which this guy did absolutely perfect in order to step up and to become the new president of, of Cuba. You know, when U.S. Uh, officials went to meet him, he'd shake hands but say very, very few words. So you never knew exactly what side of the fence he stood on. All he knows, he was a Castro and a communist loyalist. But Raul uh-uh, is not exactly completely retiring. He's still going to be charge of the Communist Party, which means he will still have his thumb on top of Bermudez. So what's your take on this change in Cuba now, I fought with my own congressman, Mark Sanford, when he said, open the doors to Cuba and open the embassy. And I said, you don't understand how they work down there. You fail to understand. Not the same as Americans. His answer was, well, we should have the ability to travel wherever we want in the world. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're telling certain people they can't come here to the United States, and yet you insist on going anywhere you want. Uh, what side of the fence do you want on that one? And I said, then you also have to understand when your your tourist dollars go there, it's not going to the people working there. It's not going to the little guy. It's going to the pockets of the government officials who actually run the tourist hotels that you will see. You won't go to the grocery stores the local guy goes to. You won't be going to the same medical clinics that the local guy goes to. You're going to go to those exclusively set aside for the tourists and those hierarchies in Cuba. Am sound like the Soviet Union? Here? <laughs> sure, it's, not, it's a Soviet Union, right? I mean, uh, same thing uh, happened uh, um, in in the Soviet Union as, as there, because of course the the Cuban model is is modeled on that on that structure. It's the Communist Party. I I think the bottom line, since you asked me uh, about Cuba, is that nothing's changed. Uh, period. Uh, Castro's, I mean, he's the last Castro. I think getting old and the guy probably wants to sit on the beach. But he's got his phone with him, and as you say, he'll know what the heck's going on all the time. So nothing's changed. And the only thing you see in the media, the only thing I saw today, and you're right, today was the day, was that, gee, the guy's really got a new president. Wow. This guy uh, is going to really have a rough time ahead of him uh, rebuilding the shattered economy. That, that's like as if the Communist Party left town. What is he talking about, rebuilding? The and it's like you're a congressman. But that's the, 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 that theory is sometimes referred to as the Coca-Cola theory, right? 
like if you open up complete trade and you embassies and you really will smother them in our great economy and everything else. And the answer is no, you won't. They'll pick and choose and you will now open yourself to one of the most efficient secret polices in the world. And the Cubans are great. You know, do you know how many uh, agents are in Mossad? Everybody talks about Mossad, you know, the Israeli uh, version of the CIA. And they, God, these guys can do anything. They can kill anybody. They can find out anything. Just How many field people do you think they have globally? And I'll tell you, a thousand about. Uh, I, I was, I was going to say more than a thousand at least. At least. I got a thousand people. And they do all that. Well, the answer, of course, is that First of all, they're a really good thousand people. They're really the, they're really the best. They're like the old OSS used to be. Uh, currently in the agency, what happens in the field and what happens at Langley are two different things, and that's another story. So the Cubans have got a superb secret police. Their spies and the rest are the greatest. They're vicious. They're smart. They're talented. They're trained. And now you want to open full relations, you want to um, uh, have a lot of communication with them and all that. They will limit who comes into their country, but they're going to they're gonna have an open door here. It'd, it'd be like saying, well, I don't think I'll get cancer, but, uh, but, um, but I'm going to smoke this cigarette anyway. Smoke a lot of them, in fact. <laughs> so, Curtis, so, go uh, ahead. Hey, My co-host has a, has a question. Yeah. Yeah, we we've seen the reunification of uh, North and South Vietnam, East and West Germany. What, what could we expect from a reunification of Korea, North and South Korea? You know, that's a good question. And Annie opened that door a few minutes ago. Um, I, she's gone down the same road that I would go down. The, the reunification of, uh, say, Germany um, was quite similar because East Germany was very poor and run down, and West Germany was a powerhouse engine, and it cost the West Germans an incredible amount of money to actually reunify the country and a long time. But there was no overarching power there. There was no overarching menace. If you... If you look at Korea, it's a peninsula. It doesn't have anybody around it except along one border, and that somebody is China. And Kim is in thrall to China, without a doubt. So so now what you have is a reunified country that will become, I'm sure in Chinese idea, uh, is a satellite of China. Uh, they've tried to do that with the Vietnamese but if you look back through history, the Vietnamese, uh, yeah, okay, you got the communists and everything else, but they're really an independent, very feisty gang of people down there. And I think the Chinese invaded them once and got beat uh, back in the day. <laughs> so I, you got a totally different situation there. And the, all these happy people in the press that are saying, you know, new day is dawning and reunified uh, Korea, boy, man, we can finally relax on that one. Yeah, well, don't hold your breath because it's China redux and they're just going to be, uh, well, they'll, they'll penetrate South. They'll do the same thing to South Korea's industry and innovative technologies and everything else that they're doing to us. Even better well, over there. That, 
What about um, Hong Kong when um, Hong Kong reverted back to Chinese rule? Did the Chinese pretty much take away all their liberties and rights and freedoms when they were under the British? Uh, no. Uh, you know, you can go to Hong Kong now, and it's pretty much the same place it's always been. Well, not not quite as great as it was under the Brits because they had raffles. It was a great bar. They let it fall into disrepute. But the 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 situation there is really interesting. I mean, if you really want to look into it, it's a it's a whole chapter in in uh, in how a country takes its well, it's their territory, and of course the British are pulling their flag down. The East of Suez policy are going to pull everybody home. You know, the Chinese really understand money, and sometimes they make mistakes in other areas, but they very rarely make mistakes in money. I mean, they are classically corrupt from the Mandarin period classically corrupt um, on the other hand they make a lot of money and here you've got Hong Kong it's a financial center it's a trading center well why the hell would we go in there and kill the cow for a bucket of milk yeah okay we'll raise the flag here and uh, I'll put my brother in charge and um, and we're going to do just fine so they got both sides of the coin they had the centralized economy up north, and then they had a capitalist economy uh, and financial center, more or less, down south in Hong Kong. And that more or less exists to this day. So if you talk democratic norms, no, they don't elect anybody, really. Uh, it's, you know, they have elections. They always have elections. But, you know, it's kind of elections with one guy for the office. Uh, you know, Putin well, just you know, had an election. I, I... Well, you know, I was really, really disappointed when Nixon made the overture to China. And now the end result of that is that we gave Taiwan back to China instead of leaving it independent and democratically elected. You know, as soon as China saw that we were willing to cede Taiwan to them, they said, well, why not we then turn around and go after the 99-year lease with Hong Kong and then go after Shanghai? So, yeah, they get those commercial centers that boost their economy and uphold it while the rest of the country is still lying in poverty. So as you said, why shoot the golden goose? They want the eggs. And, uh, you know, in Taiwan, by the way, is not a closed chapter. Uh, the Taiwan situation is it's one of the hotspots that we were talking about earlier. Um, the Chinese are feeling bolder now, and they're because of the South China Sea um, buildup that they've had. And they're flying around the island um and by the way it's a big island I and mean, people have this impression that formosa as it was called is a little joint it's big it's it's large uh, and they're flying around that island routinely with nuclear capable bombers they're sending messages uh they referred to that last flight that they made around the island as a sacred mission whatever that means uh but they're making it clear that they're either going to have Taiwan annexed back, as they view it, back into real China, because it's part of real China, mainland China. This is a province. It, it's ours. Chiang Kai-shek went down there, the criminal, etc., and so on. And we're going to, so they're either going to get it back, as they used to say, they'll wait for the, for the fruit to drop from the tree into their hand, or they'll take it. And once the correlation of forces is such, the only person, the only uh, power in the world that could stop them or slow them from taking it 
would be us. And uh, maybe us in conjunction with the Japanese, <laughs> although the Japanese are not really welcome anywhere they, down there very much. But nevertheless, if we don't have the capability and political will, then they'll take it by force. This is a real hot spot. Well, uh, it is, and, and no one's paying much attention to it, unfortunately. And we've got our next guest in the line. Chet, if you want, hang out with us here. Uh, because I think you'll enjoy him immensely. He's a good friend of the show. He's also a fellow author that has written along the same lines that you have. Uh, he also has Songs and Stories for Soldiers, a charity that he and his wife run that I think you may want to uh, lend a hand to because I think some of your books, if they get put onto um, an MP3 or whatever, could be a good addition to what the charity he does. So let's bring along our other I, guest I, with I us. I do it in a and I would do it in a heartbeat. I'm going to have to go. I did look up your guest. He's an extraordinary man. I look forward to meeting him one day. Unfortunately, I'm gearing up for another meeting here, so I got to I got to bail well, out. Then, but please give him my regards well, then, and let me, tell them. He's right here. Yeah. He's right here with us. So Chet Nagel, this is Dan Perkins. Dan Perkins, Chet Nagel, and we'll get the two of you together. I think it'll be a good union. Good afternoon, well, sir. I look forward to talking to you. Good afternoon to you, sir. I watched one of your podcasts uh, uh, on TV uh, before I uh, on my computer before I, I came on the air, and uh, and I was more than slightly impressed by your prescience and uh, and your capabilities. So if there's anything well, I, I can do for you, please let me know. And uh, well, if 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 your charity well, can use my books, I'll I'll be happy to to donate them or whatever. Uh, I'll get Ann to send me your contact information, and we'll hook up in the next few days. Excellent. I, I wonder, it, it's great talking to you, and I look forward to talking more. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Annie, it's I, been great as always. I, oh, it's my pleasure, Chet. We'll be speaking soon. You have a blessed day and a great weekend. All right. You Check too. out Chet Nagel, Chet Nagel, com. Good afternoon, Dan. I, I love it when I can introduce guests to each other and make something happen between them. It's always a lot of fun. So, Absolutely. welcome to the show once again, Dan. Oh God, this must Thank be you, your your dozen. <laughs> and even even dozen you've been more, with us. Least, I don't know. You have anybody that's been on more times than I have? Uh, possibly. I I think that maybe someone is coming in a close second. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. Well, I always appreciate being it, with you. You know, it, it's funny because um, I was at my physical therapist yesterday, and he was talking about my progression in the shoulder surgery is, is like a miracle. The doctor that did this, who replaced the replacement, good Lord, what a miracle he worked. But we were talking, he was saying he had a patient in there, and he was upset with the patient's daughter because the mother had, Alzheimer's or some form of dementia, and the daughter was uh-huh. making fun of her mother, and it really, really pained him to have to work with this patient with the daughter being so nasty. And I told him about your book, and he's going to be picking up a copy of it and maybe even passing it around to his staff so they can learn about you know how you looked at handling Alzheimer's in the book you wrote, Why Grammy Doesn't Remember Me. And I told him right. how marvelous the story was and the way you went at it. 
And I said, you looked at it as, as if you were looking as a child trying to deal with it. But I said, when I read it, I found it as a handbook in which we could help our parents and other members of our family suffering from any form of a dementia. Right. Absolutely. I have a, I have a, a sad situation in my family. My older sister's husband is dying of uh, prostate cancer, and it's, it's migrated into small cell which is a very aggressive form of cancer. And uh, my wife and I went up last weekend to ostensibly to say goodbye. And uh, he, he has three children. His, his first wife passed away. And my sister has just been just been wonderful to him forever. And she's trying to help him through this end-of-life crisis. And um, they have him in the memory care unit because um, – as I think we might have talked before, there are many, many different types of dementia. And one of those types of dementia, that which is not uh, physiological, is you can have drug-induced dementia. The, the way your body reacts to certain drugs creates dementia. And she's having a difficulty with his youngest daughter uh, believing that her father needs to be in a memory care unit, that she doesn't have dementia. So she's in denial uh, that her father could have dementia and and doesn't understand the concept of drug-induced dementia. So uh, it was a, it's been a really tough two weeks for my sister, and uh, she also had a problem with a conflict of of two medications that they were giving him that was causing him to be very uh, unstable. So, but they've got that worked out, I think, as of last night. But, you know, it, it, um, it just struck me that his daughter says, my father does not have dementia. He can't have dementia. And the answer is, yes, he can. And, in fact, he does. It's just not maybe the way you think in terms of the the damage to the brain type of dementia. Um, and I told my sister, you know, have her go, have her go to our web, Songs and Stories website uh, and, and look around and see if you can find things about post-traumatic stress disorder, and, and, and you'll understand how there are different ways in which people can get dementia, even from head injuries. So um, I hope that uh, my sister has good luck with her. So what can I – what can I – and thank you for talking to the doctor um, – what else can I talk to you about today or talk with you about today? No, <laughs> well, I just want to mention that, you know, my husband has his own health issues. And, yes, when the toxins in his body reach a certain level or the medications contradict each other, you know, I, I end up with the same thing. And my mom, she's going to be 86 this year, and I notice little bits of uh, – uh, I'm not talking about distant memory, but recent memory where she has lapses. I'm, I also mm-hmm. suffer from CRS. I can't remember, you know what. <laughs> but uh, we, we have so much to talk about. <laughs> we all suffer from CRS somewhere along the way. You know, um, Absolutely. we have in the chat room, some people are saying that they love they love you and the work that you do. And one guy in Alaska is asking what you think the collapse of civilization will look like. Oh, boy, is that a loaded question? Uh <laughs> I think we're starting to see wow. the collapse of civilization. Uh, if well. we allow this liberal society to continue to seep in, uh, we will see a complete 
first the moral decay and then the utter decay of civilization? Well, um, I, I, I would respectfully not be as radical as that. Uh, I, I think that, um, I think what, what we may be seeing right now in our own country and in uh, European nations, uh, and, and for that matter, we possibly could be seeing something brand new in North Korea. Um, maybe what we're seeing, Annie, is the potential end of an era of, uh, of a lack of values and concerns and caring about other people and being very politically correct to the point that we sacrifice our moral compass and our moral values. And we're beginning to decide, wait a minute, that doesn't work anymore. And uh, so maybe we don't have a collapse. Maybe we have a, to quote, quote an old Baptist minister friend of mine, maybe we'll have a national awakening and revolution that will take us back to the Lord. Uh, a resurgence, a resurgence of mm-hmm. our founding principles, I would say. And I, yeah. I, I, I think that you're also seeing the same thing. You know, it's, you look at what's going on with mainstream media, or as we call it, lamestream media, uh, you see the backlash at Hollywood with their movies and a resurgence of patriotic and faith-based movies. And you see that the ones that are making money at the box office are those that are patriotic and faith-based. You see the ones that Hollywood thinks they, we want to see are, are collapsing, they're crashing. And there is, I think, a complete backlash from mainstream America and mainstream civilization saying, wait a minute, this isn't how a polite society exists. True, very true. And, and I think that your observations are keen. I, I think it's, it's important to also say that, that um, if we look at what has happened in the last 13 months, 14 months with Donald Trump, I, I, I think that um, I am, Annie, I am absolutely amazed how this man can get up every morning and go to work under the, for, the, for the betterment of the American people to make America great again under the barrage of attack that he's getting from the mainstream media, from Hollywood, how, how he does it. I, I don't know that I, even in my younger days, I would have the, the strength and fortitude to continue the fight, but he doesn't, he doesn't give up. And, and as long as the mainstream media and the Democrats have continued to, to not focus on the real issues of what we need to do as a nation, and continue to deal with what they're dealing with, their their universe of influence is going to continue to shrink. Uh, I have written many, many times uh, that I believe that, according to the, the famous New York Yankees baseball catcher, Yogi Berra, when he said, <laughs> it's kind of like deja vu all over again. 
I think that 2000 <laughs> and the election in 2018, that those news pundits who are going to sit around at the tables are going to ask, how could this happen again? How could we be so wrong <laughs> when they see that they lose House seats, they lose a lot of Senate seats, and the American people are rejecting them? This idea that there's going to be a big blue wave that that Cruz is not going to win in Texas and, and all this stuff that's going on, it's basically um, – I want to be careful how I use the right word, but it's basically bullcrap. And uh, and and to the to the lip, to the far left, it's Kool Aid. That just like they drank it last in '16 for Hillary, they're drinking it again, and they can't come up with a rationale other than that they believe that the rest of the United States thinks the way they do, and and perhaps. With the further destruction of the Democratic Party in the midterm elections and then the following general election, maybe the Democratic Party will disappear. You know, I, that's funny because I asked this on my last show on Tuesday, and I asked my previous guest, do you think the Democratic Party will survive this massive move to the left? Uh, that was my question. I, I see you have someone such as Roseanne Barr, who is known as being a liberal, but telling her own party, that you've gone too far. You've actually left us. We haven't left you. You've left us. You know, to quote Ronald Reagan, she actually you know, came close to that. Uh, but you're also seeing where we have, I, I know that we've spoken about this in the past, that different churches, different uh uh, members of the Christian faith have a split within their own faith. And here we have it with the Anglican Church now pitting against the Episcopal. And we were the Anglican and Episcopal Church were one, and now we're split into two. You've got the conservative side, which is the Angl- Anglican Church of North America, and in a court battle with the Episcopal Church because they've gone far too liberal. And recently uh-huh. there was a meeting at Wheaton College, and I'm sure you've heard about this, uh, an evangelical meeting at Wheaton College, and it turned into a Trump bashing. And it ended up with some of these evangelical leaders walking out. It was a two-day conference uh, involving a group of faith leaders and the evangelical movement. But it became into a one-side venting against Donald Trump. And if, if you have this, Within our own faith, you know, Donald Trump is a dividing factor within the Christian faith. I don't think I don't think he is. I, I really don't. I I think it is the rhetoric of the left and their their continued disagreement. See, I don't I don't think I don't think any that the that the left understands what it is their doing to my country. My country. They're trying to, to convince me that Donald Trump shouldn't be president and that the Russians were in collusion with him. I did a piece, Annie, that's on uh, 
I'm writing for another blog, so I, I just picked up a new blog this past week, and they published my my first piece with them. And I I'm um, I'm drawing a blank. I'll think about it. Hopefully, I can tell you before the show's <laughs> over. But anyway, I talk about this in this piece. I say President Trump is fighting the left with one arm tied behind his back. And I love and it. I, in in the article, I say that when Barack Obama was president of the United States, there was always one person in his administration that he could count on to cover his back, to give him all the support he needed and to show his loyalty by supporting everything that he was doing unquestionably. That person was Eric Holder, the Attorney General of the United States. Donald Trump ostensibly has now two Attorney Generals, one who was approved by the Senate committee and voted on by the Senate and confirmed, and the other one is a person who is not confirmed to be Attorney General, and that is Rob Rosenstein. Because when Jeff Sessions, who I believe is an honorable, moral man, he, if you go back and look at the time sequence, he was virtually intimidated to recuse himself and he fell into a democratic trap and he didn't think it all the way through about what it was going to mean not only to him but to his leader when he recused himself in the Russia investigation. So what happened was Rosenstein was elevated to the level of acting attorney general. He was, for the purposes of this investigation, the Attorney General. And so Abraham Lincoln made a famous quote, made a lot of quotes, but one of his most famous quotes about the Civil War is that a house divided against itself cannot stand. You cannot have two Attorney Generals in the United States. And so I go on to, to, to tell the reader to look at the order that Rosenstein signed appointing Mueller as the special counsel. Now, on a historical basis, when a special counsel has been appointed, he or she is appointed to investigate a specific charge of the breaking of a federal law. Bill Clinton. Okay was Bill Clinton went through an impeachment process based on his activity as president while he was in office and he was lying he lied to a grand jury and to federal prosecutors about what happened. Now what it says in the statute that it establishes the special counsel is that he needs to be charged by the Congress or the appointing agent, in this case, the 
what would have normally been the attorney general, not the assistant attorney general, but because he recused himself, Rosenstein was acting attorney general. Rosenstein, when he wrote the order, and there's a link to it on in the article, Rosenstein said there was no specific crime indicated, but that he was to look into whether or not there was collusion between the Russian government or its representatives and Donald Trump or representatives of the Trump campaign. That was the charge. Now, he specifically cites a federal statute about interference in American elections by foreign individuals and governments. And again, I use the statute. It's there through a hyperlink. In essence, what the statute says, that foreign nationals and foreign agents of foreign governments or governments themselves are prohibited under federal law to engage in activities to influence or infiltrate American elections. That's what the that's the lay language of the federal statute. I go on to say the following. One, Michael Steele, who was the drafting agent of the dossier, was not an American citizen. He was a foreign national from the United Kingdom. The statute, Annie, says that if there is value received from or to a foreign operative or government, that's also illegal. So Steele was paid by indirectly by the Hillary campaign and the Democratic National Committee to put the dossier together. He reports in, the, in his dossier that he had contact with and paid Russian individuals to obtain information that would be detrimental to Donald Trump. So the federal statute that prohibits a foreign national, an agent of a foreign government, or a foreign government to be involved, and one of the measuring statements, Annie, is value. When those Russians received money, and when Steele received money for the work which was used in the campaign, that is all illegal under the election uh, limitations for foreign nationals and governments. Yet nobody yet, other than myself, is talking about prosecuting Steele and the Hillary campaign and the Democratic National Committee for the violation of these federal statutes. At least not yet. Um, well, not, and, yet, not and, yet, but I, I've, I've, brought this, I've brought this forward many, many times. I said that whole entire warrant was fruit of the poisonous tree. You know, it's all based upon a lie. So the warrant should never have been executed, and this investigation should right. never have been even put into play because everything stems from the fruit of the poisonous tree. Right. And then we have this why hasn't Jeff Sessions re- unrecused himself once he's seen, you know, the terms that the investigation took? 
Um, that's a good question because I end the article by saying that this is what I think needs to happen. Jeff Sessions needs to call a press conference at the Justice Department and make two announcements. The first announcement is, effective immediately, I am terminating Rob Rosenstein from the Department of Justice. The second announcement is, my resignation will be on the president's desk tomorrow by noon. And we, we if the, the longer the House goes divided with two attorney generals, the more difficult it is to, to sort of bring this situation under control. Uh, I've raised that question. I've thought about that question. Uh, unrecusing himself, tough thing to do, tough thing to do. Uh, but firing Rosenstein as the attorney general and resigning are two things that he can do that he doesn't need the permission of Donald Trump to do because of his position as the Attorney General of the United States. But I think that if we can bring uh, – uh, I, I would have loved to see Sessions unrecuse himself, but the Democrats will be so relentless in the idea that he's trying to recuse himself that I'm not so sure that Sessions could survive the heat that he's going to get from the Democrats. That's why I, I well, think now, he's probably not the, done it. Well, then Pardon? we raise the question is with raise the question now with Rosenstein uh, sitting down with the president last week and telling him he's no longer he's he's not the target of an investigation. <clears throat> now, if Sessions were to dismiss Rosenstein, would that take heat off of Trump? Take him out of the equation? So. The Democrats cannot go after Trump for firing Rosenstein. Well, I, uh, the reason why I chose the way I did it, Annie, is that by the attorney general, which he has the power to do, um, he has the power to, to terminate employment. And he doesn't need the permission of the president of the United States. So the, the reporters that keep bugging Trump, are you going to fire Rosenstein and Mueller? The answer they keep saying is no. They're, they're here. They've been here as long as you've been asking me questions about when, whether he's going to fire them. I suspect that if he, if he were to take my suggestion and, and Sessions were to fire and resign, um, there probably will be some heat on, um, on, on Sessions, even though he's no longer attorney general. And there'll probably some, be some accusations that, the president putting him up to it and all that stuff. Interesting article, if you saw this morning, Annie, that Rudy Giuliani is being added to um, to um, I was just going to bring Trump's that up. Legal, was... legal defense and Rudy Rudy uh, being um, Rudy uh, said he thinks he can wrap this up wrap wrap this up in a couple of weeks. I, I, that's not. I don't think it's going to happen because. The Democrats don't want it wrapped up. The Democrats don't want Mueller to come out and say, we looked six ways to Sunday and we can't find anything of any collusion. They, they don't want that outcome. And believe me, if he does that, if he doesn't have anything to turn over to the, to the House, then there's no reason to start an impeachment because he's not given the House any high, grime, high crimes or misdemeanors. Uh, against the president. So 
the Democrats are going to be thwarted again, but they're going to be they're going to be ballistic about that if that happens. But um, I don't think we any you know you talk about the end of civilization as we started the program. I'm not I'm not convinced that this country can continue to live under this cloud of constant attack, attack, attack. I mean, we're talking about it's it's amazing to me. I think I've said this before. It's amazing to me how this man can get up every morning and go to work and try and do the best he can for America with the barrage of attack that he's under every day, every day. I don't know where he gets the fortitude. I don't know where he gets the energy, but he must obviously love this country. And I look at the things that he's doing. I mean, we we we, we got the North the North Koreans conceded that one of their conditions for the meeting with with President Trump was the removal of the twenty eight thousand plus soldiers, and they backed away from that. Uh, it shows how desperate they are to meet with the president and understand that he is not to be played with. So all these things that are, he's accomplishing all these things while being under a constant barrage of attack, himself, his wife, his children, uh, by, by, by the left. It's, it's just the most vicious attack I've ever seen in all the history that I've studied about the United States. Well, you, you, you brought up several different topics here that I've included in my notes for today, and you've touched uh, on them. So now I have to go back <laughs> a little bit here, because <clears throat> you mentioned Rudy Giuliani, and my eyes went directly up over my desk. Over my head is sitting a picture of myself standing there with Rudy Giuliani uh, in New York when he was running for mayor. <clears throat> I think this was the first or second I forget it was the first or second time. So I'm looking at his face right now. But when he brought Giuliani on, the first thought that went to my mind is something's going on behind closed doors and maybe Sessions will be resigning and Giuliani being put in his place. Excuse me, I'm starting to lose my voice here. So someone in the chat room just mentioned the very same thing. Possibly is it it something that Trump has already taken into consideration and maybe your article, once it goes public, uh, will be put before him and saying, hey, here's someone else is saying the same thing that you're thinking. Is that a possibility? Sure, it's a possibility. I mean, there was there was talk early on when uh, Trump was picking cabinet, cabinet members. There was there was discussion, if you recall, about Giuliani being attorney general. But he <laughs> he decided he couldn't, for whatever reason, couldn't give up what he was doing in order to serve. But now, uh, I don't. I think it's it's the current position that he's in is advisory to the president as opposed to an employee of the administration. But um, the story is that he knows Mueller very, very well. They've known each other for a long time. And uh, um, whether or not Rudy can go in and bring this thing down in two weeks, I I just think it's going to be hard uh, for Mueller to to, to do that. Uh, And I think Hillary is behind the scenes putting enormous pressure on the, the continuation, she, she, as I, as I've said before, a piece I wrote months ago, and I was on a show on uh, 
Tuesday, it went Monday night uh, on Blog Talk Radio like you, and uh, I was supposed to be there for like a half an hour, and it wound up being an hour and a half. And um, <laughs> we were talking about, uh, it's one of these late night shows, starts at 11.30. And uh, anyway, um, I said that I had written this article that the, the, the that the nominee for the Democratic Party in 2020 is going to be a victim. And they said, what do you mean victim? Uh I said, well, if you understand that the Democratic Party is the party of victimhood, whether it's gays, lesbian, transsexuals, women, minorities, Hispanics, uh, sex traffickers, whatever it is, that's what they do. And so the biggest, I said that the biggest victim in the Democratic Party, who will be the candidate in 2020, with two exceptions, is Hillary Clinton. She is the victim. And every time the mainstream media reports a story about the collusion of the Trumps, Trump people and the Russians, they stole the election from Hillary. So she's getting... Billions of dollars of sympathy from the mainstream media every time they run a story about Mueller. She does not want this investigation to be over before the 2020 election. She wants it to continue and uh, because she thinks that works to her advantage. There are people, there are still people in the Democratic Party on the far left who believe that Hillary, regardless regardless of the electoral vote, should should have been the president of the United States. They are unwilling to admit that she was a terrible campaigner, that the people perceived her negatives to be ab- above her positives, and that they didn't hear any message from her that was positive for the American people. Uh, there was a, an article that I read this week, I forget who wrote it, and she was talking about Hillary in a discussion, and Hillary said, quote, they stole my presidency. They stole my presidency. She, to this day, is not accepting any responsibility for what she did or didn't do in the campaign and blames it on the Russians and Donald Trump for taking her position as the first female president of the United States, which she was supposed to have. And everybody in the media agreed that she was supposed to have. So when the outcome never happened, she became the victim. And if you look at it, there, who, who was, who's a possible candidate? Uncle Joe? I don't think so. Cory Booker? No. Pocahontas? Not a chance. The, the far left of the Democratic Party, which has control of the Democratic Party, wants to have a, an extremely far left candidate for president. And I I also believe, and this is the first time you may have heard this, Annie, I also believe that there is a faction 
in the Democratic Party, this is going to sound very sinister, there is a faction in the Democratic Party who already believes that Donald Trump is going to win in 2020. And the best sacrificial calf to give is Hillary Clinton. Rather than put somebody new, put somebody new in the place who could get destroyed by Donald Trump, save the young Turks for 2024, sacrifice Hillary in 2020. That's interesting. Uh, Use her as a sacrificial lamb. (laughs) That's more like a fatted calf. (laughs) There you go. go. And I and I said. There are only, there are only, in my mind, there were only two issues that would prevent my scenario from happening. One, her health declines to the point that she effectively can't even go out and work the primaries. Or, and this is the one I really hope happens, she finds herself in an orange jumpsuit and indicted. What well, about Eric that's Holder? That's a possibility. Well, that, that that indictment is a possibility because if you consider that just recently uh, the Republican lawmakers sent a criminal referral to Jeff Sessions for a number of the Obama administration officials, including uh, James Comey, Hillary Clinton, Loretta Lynch, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, and Lisa Page. Uh, this was sent in by the uh, senior member of the House Judiciary Committee and Oversight uh, in government reform, which is Ron DeSantis. And signatures included Andy Biggs, Dave Bratt, Jeff Duncan, Matt Goetz, uh Paul Gozer, Andy Harris, Judy Heiss, Rod Rokita, never heard of him, Claudia Tenney, and Ted Yoho, who we've had. And they're saying that Comey potentially broke the law when he chose not to seek charges against Clinton for leaking classified memos. Um, They say Clinton potentially broke the law when disguising payments to Fusion GPS, which you talked about, the Trump dossier, and disclosures to the FEC commission. And she threatened a former FBI informant, William Douglas Campbell, who tried to come forward in 2016 with information related to Uranium One. And it goes on Uh in this article. um, And then at one point, it states in the article, this was written by Christina Wong on Breitbart. She writes, according to documents, the senior Obama officials used unsubstantiated evidence to launch investigations in the media that the Trump campaign was colluding with Russia during the run-up to the 2016 campaign. Um, This is exactly what I talked about, the fruit of the poisonous tree. And if anyone doesn't understand what the fruit of the poisonous tree is, is that if the evidence was tainted or obtained in a way that was not legal, you cannot use it in executing a warrant or any part, any evidence that was gained because of that poison has, will be thrown out. It will not be accepted unless there's a different way of which obtaining it, and they use that other way, a legal manner in, to obtain that evidence. But once it's poisoned, it's called fruit of the poisonous tree and cannot be used. So uh, it comes back again to the question, why was the warrant ever issued? It was issued based upon poisoned evidence. And from there forward, everything should have been thrown out. And she ends the article saying, CIA director, your buddy, John Brennan, had briefed Senator Harry Reid in August of 2016 
prompting Reed to send a letter to then-FBI Director James Comey asking him to investigate allegations of collusion. And Reed then reportedly stayed in close contact with Comey. So the question is, can we also include Harry Reid in some of these charges? I mean, bring down the Democrats. It's certainly a possibility. Certainly a possibility. I, I just I just think that that um it is amazing to me. Um when I, I watched the Comey interview on Sunday night and you know, and and I watched George Stephanopoulos, and I know he's a, I know he's a Clinton operative, but when when James Comey uh, attacked the the morality of Donald Trump of being president of the United States, if if I were there, I would have said to Mr. Comey, I have. I have three names for you to see if you would still support them as president. And they are Franklin Delano Roosevelt, John Kennedy, and Bill Clinton. All three men cheated on their wife, two of them while they were president. And You left that Johnson. LBJ. Well, I understand, but, but I just I would just so you know if we if we're going to attack a president as morally reprehensible, then you got it. You can't do it. I don't think you can do it without doing it in the context of other presidents. Um, even Eisenhower was supposedly supposed to have a lady friend when he was uh, overseas. But the point is that I I felt that that. Um, I came away from the interview of saying to myself, you know, there's a, a, a there's a great scripture passage when when Jesus is talking to the prostitute and uh he uh he reaches down and he picks up a stone but before he picks up the stone he writes some things in the dirt with his finger turns to the crowd and says Ye without sin cast the first stone, and they all walked away. So, is he holier than thou? He may think he is, but but this man broke the federal law. He he decided that the the idea. This is the thing that again is not getting. I'm going to sneeze. I think um, the thing that he didn't do didn't do is the idea that he decided, and this is very, very important because it goes to who he believes he is as a person. He decided that he didn't believe that that Loretta Lynch could do her job as attorney general. And therefore, even though he was a subordinate to the attorney general, he decided that he had to make the decisions because he didn't believe she could. Um, that's an enormous ego. That's when you when you decide that you're you're the ones that only one that can make that decision about what is correct, 
and that the and the the appointed people by the Senate don't count speaks uh, speak to me speaks volumes about his ego and his holier than thou attitude. You know, it's a tremendous, tremendous ego you see coming out of this book. Um, I'm not going to read it, so I'm not even going to pretend like I know what's exactly in it. But listening to the interviews he does and the mm-hmm. blowback from those interviews, it, it's just it's, – it's rank of just pure ego. It's the me, myself, and I attention, and it, it's, it's backfiring on him. <laughs> Thankfully, it's backfiring him because people are pulling the book apart. And his appearances, and every time he opens his mouth, he just sinks himself deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, I see an indictment coming down the road for James Comey. And once that happens, then the dominoes are going to fall, I think. Well, it's interesting because I, 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 I wouldn't disagree with you about an indictment. The thing I'm interested in is what's going to happen when the IG report comes out. Because we, we under, we've heard today that the inspector general is looking at the memos that Comey leaked to the New York Times as to whether or not they had classified information. And if he leaked classified information, which he said he, he said that he did authorize the leak and he did the leak, but he didn't say whether there was classified information. But there are some people now saying that the contents of the leak were actually classified material. Um, that's a felony. And um, uh, but again, that's another example, as you pointed out, of his ego. He decided that it was all right for him to leak, even though it was not appropriate for anybody else to leak. He was above the law. Uh, is it, if they do indict Comey, then he's going to turn around and go, wait a minute. If you're indicting me, why aren't you going after Hillary? You know that's going to be the next thing that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> and well, the question is – Every one of us cheering. But one, I, want, I wonder if everybody keeps looking for who's the person that's going to turn on Trump. I wonder if Comey might be the person who'll turn on Hillary. You'll you'll see us all donating to uh, pay for her orange jump <laughs> orange prison jumpsuits. <laughs> we got about Donate we got here. about twelve minutes left. What what do you else you want to talk about today? Oh man, um, I have so much I wanted to talk to you about because yeah, now they're going after uh, the social network sites that are carrying fake news, and California just recently put legislation forward. Uh, where they're going to set up a commission that's going to go over anyone that has a social website, even this site is considered a social website, uh, out there. And if you post anything that's fake news or if someone posts something to your website that is fake news, they're going to penalize you. They're going to criminally penalize you for carrying something called fake news. This has gotten out of hand. Since the birth of man man having the ability to speak, there has been fake news out there. It is part of human nature. Sometimes it's called satire, sometimes it's called comedy, and sometimes it's called the onion, as if you want to believe anything that's ever written in there. 
you know, Mad Magazine, fake news. Come on, you're gonna. How many different things are you gonna go after? This is this has just gotten out of hand, and free speech is now at risk. Nazism. Um, I, w- I I think I I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I I, I think that 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 the question is. The, the the big picture question is, I think, Annie, is 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 the First Amendment only the protector of truth, or is it the protector of speech, whether it's true or not? That's going to be a fundamental question because the second they do implement this law, and the first person that has their Facebook page, you know, penalized, because you know, I half the time I don't even know what people are putting up onto my Facebook page, because you know I look at it maybe once a week. You know, it's not something I I do every single day. So you know, it's possible something gets posted that's fake, but you know, uh, I'm looking at the First Amendment right now. Um, prohibiting the free exercise thereof or bridging the freedom of speech or of the press. So it's saying speech. It's not saying news. So anything is considered no, it's speech. It's not saying you know, truth prefer... either. It's not no, saying truth, say truth either. Annie. No. And so, the press is also so, so fake, fake news, fake news should be covered under the First Amendment. Exactly. And then the individual that's reading it or listening to it or watching it, it's up to them to make the decision whether or not they're going to believe what they're seeing, reading, or or someone's written. Um, yeah, but see that that's that, that's that's the that's the bugaboo. That's the bugaboo. What we have is people who express their opinion, not based on fact, but on what they want to believe. But the person who reads it, there's no warning label on it that this is a this is opinion. And they don't even know what, most people don't understand what it means when it says, well, if there is editorial or opinion subhead. Um, and, and so I think that by and large, what has happened is that there's been a fundamental change in media, and the media clearly has a left bias in what they report. I saw another report that said so far in Mr. Trump's uh, term as president, about 93% of the stories about Mr. Trump in the mainstream media are all negative. Um, and as a result, that's that's creating uh, not real news, but innuendo. And, you know, it used to be my partner on my radio show is a longtime newspaper journalist. And we've talked about this issue many, many times on previous shows. What is the responsibility of a reporter to verify the accuracy of his source? It used to be that at the journalism schools, they would teach students two verifiable sources, but not anymore. 
there doesn't have to be any source. And recently I read an article by a journalism professor that said, if a story is being reported as news, it shouldn't be printed until the author, the reporter, can verify there are two independent sources that what he's saying in the article is true. We have in our country today, especially in the mainstream media, a proliferation of people who are reporting stories based on unnamed sources or sources who are not authorized to speak publicly on behalf of an issue who are giving opinions to reporters. So part of the problem, in my opinion, Annie, rests with the reporters who are being manipulated by the Democratic Party, by the left in this country, to report what they want them to report, whether it's true or not. So fake news has grown dramatically beyond the campaign. It's come into everyday life and everyday stories. And it's like it's like the woman in California, the college professor, who I heard her say on video, she was glad that Barbara Bush died. Oh, God. Oh. That was one of the things I had listed. You know, that was awful. That was awful. Yeah. Actually awful, calling her uh, the mother of a, a uh, baby killer or something like that and the wife of a racist. Right. Yeah, that was Absolutely despicable. Um, that was a Fresno State professor called Barbara Bush an amazing racist who raised a war criminal. Rain, Randa, Randa Gerard, she's uh, with the State Dep- the Department of English at Fresno State. Uh, that was absolutely right. horrible. And you look back at history uh, where that was done, you had it where um, Lauren Ducca wanted to spit on Billy Graham's grave. You had uh, death parties in England for Margaret Thatcher, and they put down the song to the Wizard of Oz, Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. It was Ding Dong that is dead. Uh, Oh, good Lord. Uh, You look at uh, Anton Scalia. Uh, One liberal said, now Scalia will know what it's like to have the government own his body. Another sadistic lefty, lefty said, funny, I actually supported Scalia on this one. And yet, I think the worst one was this one is said about Scalia. I, for one, will not dance on Scalia's grave. My mother taught me not to waste that much money on airfare. And it gets worse. You know, um, there was a, uh, not a reporter, but a columnist uh, for a newspaper up in Maine, the Portland Press, Mark Harmon, when he passed away, he died from an accidental uh, firearm discharge. And someone wrote on their Facebook page, accidental, but not a tragedy, just more collateral damage. We lost nothing. Never asked me to feel bad for a gun freak getting killed by his own gun. And the most famous was Gore Vidal when William Buckley died. Yeah, we don't do that. Someone passes away, we respect the dead. We respect the dignity of life, but if one of us should pass away, it's a free-for-all for comedians and, and leftist nuts. We, but what you're, what you're pointing out, Annie, is that we, one of the things that we have lost 
in our society, and I don't know that we'll ever get it back because once we destroyed it, it's really hard to reinstall it. We we do not respect other human people, um, and and all the examples that you pointed out shows that there is a a, a serious lack of values in our society, and and is and. And until we begin to pull back and say, no more, not in my country, that we're going to, we're going to, I had a situation, I know we're almost out of time, but I got to tell you this. I was doing, I was a guest, and I'm on a regular guest on China Global Network Television. It's in 117 countries, 70 million viewers, and I'm a regular on the show. And I was talking, we were talking about North Korea. And I said that I believe that if Mr. Trump comes out of a, a summit meeting with Kim with a verifiable denuclearization and disarmament of the North Korean government, I believe it's such a significant event and lowering the tension levels in the entire world that he would deserve the Nobel Peace Prize. And one of the other reporters on the panel laughed at what I said. And I said, excuse me, I have allowed you to have your opinion, and I haven't laughed at you. I demand the respect that you respect my opinions and don't laugh at me when I express what I believe. And that's the problem. They don't res- if you don't agree with them, they don't respect you or what you believe. Later he he apologized on air. But I could have let it pass, but I wasn't going to let it pass because I am entitled as a commentator on a global basis to have my own opinions and for somebody to laugh at because I believe that Mr. Trump could in fact win the Nobel Prize for peace if he brings peace between the United States, South Korea, and North Korea. Uh, you know, there's so much there's so much truth to that because a number of years ago I was invited as a guest speaker with several other groups in a get out to vote at the University of South Carolina campus here near me. And I showed up and out of the ten groups that showed up to do their little speech about get out the vote and why it's important, only two of us were Republican or conservative. The other eight were all progressive liberal groups. And they went forward and they all did their speeches. And the other uh, group that came up was a Republican Party group. They got up to do their little speech. They just did a few simple words. And I sat down really quickly because they were starting to get catcalled. And I got my chance to get up and they started to catcall me. And I stopped dead right there. And I said, wait a minute. I was polite with all the other speakers, even though I may not have agreed with everything they said. I held my, my, myself. And I didn't disrespect them. So please give me the same courtesy and do not disrespect me. And the room went silent and not one person cat called me afterwards. In fact, several of the other people from the other liberal groups came up to me and said, "Um, thank you for doing that because what we saw going on was wrong. And this is what we have to do. We have to demand respect. Curtis, I have to stay with the show for a minute, Stan. Civility is not in the vernacular of the left. 
I just, I just said that I had expected. I'm sorry, we're all talking at the same time. Speaking our children today, and um, I don't know if you heard about the Google um, protest that's going on because the government, the defense um, department, asked them to um, join in with them on some some kind of project, and um, employees at Google said, uh, "No, we don't want to do that." You know, we we weren't. We didn't come to this company to uh, assist in war efforts. So you see, the mindset of these people today is truly like snowflakes. You know, these guys don't even have any patriotism to help their own country develop things that are help defend it. You're absolutely right. We're out of time. Well, I did extend the sh- we I extended the show a few minutes just to give you um, people can find you dan and your radio and tv show over at your website which is dan perkins in santa there's a link on the show page you also have that marvelous marvelous charity that you and your wife work so very hard to and i'll be texting you over uh chet nagel's uh, phone number so the two of you can talk which right. is songs and stories for soldiers and people can find that songs and stories for soldiers dot u.s and it, right. if anyone and has someone suffering from PTSD or anything, they should get a hold of you and you can help them with the, the iPod. Right. Also, and update your, your file. There's a new website for me. It's called danperkins.guru, G-U-R-U. Oh, all right. I'll add that on there. Okay. Yeah. Writing it down. So I'll add that to the show later on tonight. So people, when they listen to the podcast, yeah. can click on it and find you there. So, Dan, it is yes. always so much fun to have you on there. And like I said, I talked to uh, my regular doctor and I talked to the physical therapist about your last book, uh, Why Grandma Can't Remember Me. It's an excellent, excellent book for families that have someone in there suffering from some form of dementia. It is it is a guidebook and a handbook to help that person along. Dan, God bless you Thank and you. your wife for all the hard work you do. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a good weekend. You too. All right, check out Dan Perkins on his website. I'll be updating those sites uh, a little bit later on this afternoon. That is all we got here for now, uh, Curtis, but we'll be back next week. Um, We've got Elizabeth Johnston. Uh, What's going on next week on, I believe it's on Monday, there's going to be a massive walkout on the schools against the sex education that they're coming up with. A lot of parents are getting very upset about forcing transgenderism ideals and homosexuality and other things in on our kids. It has no place in the school. A child should be allowed to grow up as a child and mature into an adulthood without the government and liberal left telling them whether or not they're actually a boy or a girl or color purple, green, orange, or whatever flavor of the month of the 65 different genders that are out there. She'll be joining us on that, and it's going to be followed by also another favorite coming back onto the show, uh, Dr. J.P. Sloan and his wife, Lainey. Uh, they're going to be joining us uh, with that. We've got great guests lined up. Jim Horn is going to be joining us. He's got a new book out, several new books out about Islam. So we've had a great show, a lot of fun with everyone. Thank you, everyone, that was hanging out with us over on YouTube and Facebook and here on Blog Talk Radio in the chat. Um, So I want to say thank you to everyone and leave us off with uh, our closing show, Curtis, unless you've got a last-minute word or two to say to our our guests here, our fans. To heat over the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Everyone, enjoy your weekend and be back here on Tuesday. Same bat time, 
same bat station, and we'll close off with our song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. I say good night and God bless.